You're listening to the Morphology Podcast. Thanks for tuning in to the Morphology Podcast, aka Murph here, to share interviews about biking experiences from cyclists who have pedaled to places all over. Each week, we will get to know new people and explore new destinations to ride your bike. As you listen to these adventures, you may wonder, why haven't I done that yet? Ward and Jackie Budwig are on this week. They recently published a book called The World at 10 Miles an Hour. This book is the result of a three-year worldwide bicycle journey Ward and Jackie went on that involved seven years of planning and ended up being over 33,000 miles of bicycle travel. It's not only a great adventure, it's also a great love story. Enjoy. Well, on the podcast today, we have Ward and Jackie Budwig. Hey guys, how's it going? Oh, great. Real well. Good. Well, I found these two on some sort of social media site and saw that it was pretty cool. They've done some major adventuring. Uh, They completed a three-year bicycle journey. I think, if correct me if I'm wrong, but it was over 33,000 miles on that journey. Is that right? Yes. 33,523. Dang, that's amazing in itself. Because of this journey, or I guess we'll find out why, they ended up writing a book. And so I'm checking out this book, and it's going to be coming out soon. And then I realized they're also uh, living in Iowa. So uh, a a shout out to the state of Iowa, where we both live now. And then I started getting people sending me messages saying, hey, you need to reach out to these people that have done this journey, and then now they're writing a book. So finally, our paths have connected. So I'm really happy to have you guys on the podcast. Thank you. We're happy to be here. Yeah, very happy. Very good. And right now, while we're recording, the book is available. You can go to your local bookstore, but we'll get into that a little bit later. So why don't we start out the way I start out with every podcast episode. Um, Tell us a bit about, I did not disclose what town you live in, but tell us about where you live and what cycling is like there. Well, we live in Decorah, Iowa. Mm -hmm. Cycling is a very accepted kind of recreational, uh, sport, racing, uh, the whole gambit. Cycling is very well accepted in Decorah. We do have a beautiful bike trail around the city, an 11-and-a-half-mile trail Mm. that gets used by everyone. Um, Cycling is is accepted here. Uh, We have two bicycle shops, and I think they both do a great job of promoting uh, cycling in in all forms. Mm -hmm. So we're very fortunate. Decorah is a great place to come and hang out and bike. Yeah, and if I remember, uh, Regbri came through there a few years ago, and Decorah is not flat. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, Iowa isn't flat either. But <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I just remember. <laughs> yeah, I just remember the climb out of Decorah. You're like, wait a minute, this is super, super steep, and it just kept going and going around this corner. You know, and, and if, if you had a nice night the night before, it does get deeper. <laughs> yes, exactly. The book that you both wrote is called The World at 10 Miles an Hour, which I absolutely love because I do a ton of bike touring. And, 
you have to go slow to enjoy the journey and to accommodate all the weight that you have. So I just love the title of that book. Um, And I'm hoping we can get into it a little bit. You know, like I mentioned earlier, three-year bicycle journey where you pedaled 33,000 plus miles. And I was hoping that you could give us some insight into how that journey even became a reality. Well, I actually met Ward on the ride across Wisconsin Mm. called the Grabwar. Before we got married, I had him sign two prenuptials. Two? One of them was two. Yep. One of them was to ride around the world with me. And the other one was that uh, he would become a Packer fan because I'm from Wisconsin. (laughs) And, you know, he's a Bear fan and they just kind of don't mesh. So (laughs) change that a little bit. But one of the reasons I really wanted to do the trip and had the excitement for it is uh, when I was 20, my fiance had passed away from cancer. Mm. And from then on, I said I was going to live for two. So that's really what kind of stemmed me or led me to want to do this trip around the world. And you can't take that lightly. I mean, a bicycle journey around the world is even that saying that is epic. I mean, you're talking about going into different countries, different languages, different cultures. Like, I guess the first thing to ask is, how did the planning go? As Jackie was motivated by the loss of a fiance, in my youth, my four uncles were in the military. So I was always getting postcards from all over the world. And and so I was always looking for oh, that'd really be cool to go where they've been. And Mm. my dad was a World War II veteran, and he was in New Guinea and Philippines. And I said, maybe someday I could go see that area of the world. Mm. And then he uh, got shot, and he recovered in Australia. Maybe I could go there and kind of stand in the same ground where he recovered from that. But as we were planning the trip, you know, we set up some rules for the trip. And uh, the first rule was it had to be safe. Mm-hmm. And safety comes in many forms. It, you don't want to go to a country that's at war, and you don't want to go in a country that they don't like America. Mm-hmm. You, and, and yet, you don't want to go in an area where the water isn't safe or, you know, just a whole bunch of things. And the second one, it had to be not cold. And so we weren't going to ride through the middle of the winter and not wet. And so that we weren't going to ride in the monsoon. And so... As we're planning those three rules, how we would, um, you know, go above the equator, below the equator, get out of the monsoon. Sometimes we would change our route because we'd hear they're rioting in in this country and you you just don't want to go there. Mm -hmm. You don't want to be in the middle of the riot. Our planning was more of not where we'd go or so much or what we would see, but it was more of how we would see the world and how did we want to learn about it, learn the cultures? And that was a very much a driving force for us. It didn't matter where we went. It's just how were we going to experience it? And Jackie and I, and this was pretty key, we wrote down about 30 questions. A lot of them were, how many times do you want to stay in a tent before we maybe get a hostel? Oh, how many yeah. times, do you, how many days do you want to ride before we take a day off? And how many miles per day? And how much do we want to? And it's all how, how, how. And we created this matrix. And in the matrix, we both evaluated each one. In the 30 questions, there was only one or two, maybe, was it two? I think two, that we didn't have the same answer. Yeah, we didn't have the same answer. Really? So we just kind of, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, 
I'm a, a Rotarian and I enjoy going to Rotary meetings. And, and I said, well, how many Rotary meetings do you want to join me for? And, and I had a different number than she did, but I think that was, maybe the, <laughs> but otherwise it was, well, we'll ride five days, six days, take a day off. We'll do this. And that, so the matrix created our planning. That's incredible. And the fact that you were on the same page in so many different aspects. Yeah. How yeah. many days do you want to stay in a tent? How much, how often will we go out for a dinner? Mm-hmm. What mm-hmm. was our daily budget going to be? That's going to be huge in itself. So when you're uh, planning, like when I'm planning for, I, I mean, I've never done this sort of a, a huge journey like you did, but uh, how long did you plan? Was it... You know, obviously it wasn't just like, you know, Saturday afternoon, let's make a plan and leave on Monday. I mean, I'm sure it was months and months of figuring things out and also, you know, leave what you're leaving behind. And actually, it was more than months. It was years. Ah. So as soon as we got married, our youngest son, my stepson, he uh, was going to graduate within seven years. So we said, okay, when he graduates, we're going to do the trip. So for seven years... We planned it, and we never bought anything new, Mm. um, no new furniture, new vehicles or anything, because we knew that we were going to sell everything um, to be able to do the trip, including the the bike shop. And I had a new boss, and her first day, I told her, oh, just to let you know, I'm going to quit in seven years. (laughs) And she laughed, and she said, nobody ever told me that before on my first day. (laughs) So this was a reality from the (laughs) get-go. Wow. In seven years, you know, it sounds like a long time, but really it's not when you look at exactly what you just mentioned about, you know, being able to not purchase new things and the planning and the maps and then watching uh, what's happening day-to-day in different countries. Like, that's probably as exciting as the actual trip was itself. Yes, it, it was very, well, it was challenging our political situation was changing when we left. Uh, Bush was in the presidency and wasn't well liked throughout the world. Well, that changed a lot of dynamics. Sure. You know, at the start of the planning, you know, the world was a different place. So Mm -hmm. we didn't really plan a route per se. Uh, Again, we just used those three rules of safety, cold and wet. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the route became flexible. And we knew that. We knew we had to have that flexibility. We just approached it of, well, we'll do the best we can and mm-hmm. see what we can see. And But our we had a, a mission statement that we wanted from our bicycles to learn the many cultures of the world and hospitalities with open arms of friendship and service. So if somebody was going to afford us some, some hospitality, we want to enjoy that. So that with that mission statement, it kind of guided us to how we would do it. Mm -hmm. And we spent time planning our website and, you know, money, bank accounts and how, how to access money and that, and, and, you know, how I sell the bike shop and how we sell our house. You mentioned kind of how you did the planning and your three rules uh, or guidelines. Uh, What were some of the countries that you traveled to that uh, maybe are most memorable? Um, I would say for myself, Argentina Mm. was one of them. It was mainly because it was a very difficult riding time at that time. We had um, a lot of uh, Patagonian winds in Argentina. 
then we ended up getting into the desert part where we would have to go 100 plus miles in a day to Mm -hmm. get to the next town. And we just found people reaching out to us. They would stop. They would ask us if we needed water or um, food. If we were in a campground, they would come over and bring us some of their food. Uh, It was just they were so friendly Mm -hmm. that we just never experienced that any other place. How about you, Ward? Um, I'm going to have to go with Argentina as well. Mm -hmm. You can't describe it. And we we were in the smallest towns and villages and just the people coming up to you or we're in a remote campground and there's maybe somebody five campsites away and they show up with a platter of meat and vegetables and they had extra food from their picnic. <laughs> they just brought it all over and they didn't have to do that. And it happened more than once. It happened over and over and over. And just the Argentinians were just so friendly. That, yeah. um, you, you would never know that. You'd think Buenos Aires, you get out of there and you're in a whole different environment. Wow. And another country that I thought was super interesting was Cambodia. Hmm. You never knew what you were going to see. We would see a family of five on a scooter, a woman holding a baby on the back of a scooter, and she's holding a stick, and the stick has the IV hanging from it that's in the baby. Oh, my gosh. Um, it, it was just people hanging all over trucks. It, it just was... 20 ducks hanging 20, off. 20 live ducks hanging off of a scooter upside down. It was constantly like... Did you just see that? Did you just see that? It was, it was so interesting. And really, that's, you know, when you come down to it, at least for me with bicycle travel, it's a lot about seeing stuff, you know, at 10 miles an hour, like you have in your book, um, seeing the beauty of places that you go, but more importantly, seeing the beauty in people. Yes, 10,000%. Mm-hmm. And even with that at 10 miles per hour, Ward is very interested in agriculture and machinery. So he would stop and he'd go out into the fields and he'd talk to the farmers and take pictures of them, the different ways that they did things. Yeah, I grew up on a farm. So just any type of agriculture, I'd just be out there running around looking at their machines Mm -hmm. and seeing what they're growing. In Italy, they they harvest tomatoes using a, a big machine. I saw they were doing this. I wanted to get some photos of it. So I was asked permission to get the photos and afterwards i said well the the tomatoes you don't get from behind the machine what do you do with them and the the guy driving the machine just kind of waved his hands like they're they're nothing they're just well the the few little plastic bags i had in my pocket now became filled with tomatoes so (laughs) (laughs) we we had a wonderful salad that (laughs) that's great (laughs) we were gleaning the fields in italy the olive oil is Tremendous in olive oil and fresh tomato. <laughs> you can't beat it. Yum. <laughs> when you look at you know the volume of miles that you put on your bicycles, uh, how did they hold up? A quick interruption to tell you this week's podcast is sponsored by Lizard Lips Lip Balm. These great lip balms contain natural ingredients, come in a variety of flavors, and you can choose certified organic or balms with sun protection. Check it out at lizardlips.net. Now back to the show. Well, we started out using mountain, or we used mountain bike, and I built them. I got a steel frame bike, uh, the Soma. It, it was um, a steel frame because if it broke or anything, we could get it welded, where if we went carbon fiber or aluminum, you wouldn't be able to weld it mm-hmm. as easily. 
Uh, and then we went with mountain bike uh, because we could get mountain bike tires. You can get those anywhere in the world. Mm. You can't always get a 700C uh, tire or even a 29er tire. So that's why we went with the mountain bike. And then I just a little note for the cyclists out there. If you're going overseas, ream out your rims so that you can take Schrader valves. Oh. Because they don't all have pressed So we reamed the rims out in advance so that we could accept the Schrader valves. Interesting. Do that. Otherwise, you're going to go, I can't find a, a Presta, and now I'm stuck here. Mm-hmm. Just a little word of wisdom there. Just a little note on how did the bikes hold up. Yeah. Ward was carrying 140 pounds. 130. 130 with the bike and the gear, and I was at 75 pounds. Wow. So he would break or crack more rims. So as soon as he found a cracked rim, he would take it off his bike and put it on mine. Okay. <laughs> Kathy, I, I put it on of her bike because the front of her bike had the least amount of weight, <laughs> and we're four countries away from a bike shop. Right. And so for me, just to completely ruin the rim, I would take it off my rear rim, relace the wheel, and put the cracked rim on her front wheel because it had the least amount of weight and it wouldn't break down and then we'd be stuck. Where if my rim completely failed, then the both of us are stuck. We're fighting now. That's his story, but I wonder why he upped the life, my life insurance right before we left. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to say it's a, it is definitely an advantage that you have the history of owning a bicycle shop. So you have a lot of good tips, but I think it also helps that uh, Jackie was like, all right, put the rim on my bike. I'll just, I'll make it. I'm not sure I said that. He just did it. <laughs> she never agreed to it. I just, I just knew that if, if my rear wheel failed completely, mm-hmm. we'd be where we were at. Sure. And that we couldn't. So I was doing preventative maintenance, but <laughs> she never liked it. <laughs> I'm putting that in air quotes, preventative maintenance, right? <laughs> so did you end the journey with the same frames on both bikes? We did not. Oh, okay. um, one of our friends, a uh, former employee, got a job at Schwinn, and they were wanting to do a... Uh, marketing uh, blitz, and so we received two um, two Schwinn bicycles, uh, and they were called the World Traveler. And so we gave our our original bicycles away in Brazil, oh. and then we were to receive these new bikes, and then take photos of where these bikes were traveling and and everything, and do some marketing and, for them, and help do marketing and receive a small stipend each month promoting the bicycles. Well, that promotion for that marketing plan switched. We received the bikes after we had given ours away. The bikes were designed to go around the block, not around the world. Oh, no. So we had to um, spend a good amount of money to get them back to the same quality that we had. So we, we spent a fair a lot of money to get them up to snuff to, to take the rigors of our travel. Sure. But it was, you know, you live and learn, and we've been better off just to keep our other bikes because they were holding up exceptionally well, except for the rim. And, and you wear out tires. We wore out 24 tires, and we had 100 flat tires during the process. Wow. I would have guessed more, but that's, I mean, 100 is still 100. That's a lot, but I would have guessed more. And on Jackie's bike, 
she had gone 10,000 miles on her front tire wow. before she had a flat. Wow. And that, that's, that just shows how much the front tire takes the least amount of punishment. And we sent a, a note to uh, Specialized because it was a Specialized Nimbus tire. You know, thought, well, maybe they'll forward us uh, some more Nimbus tires. And they just said, oh, glad to hear that you did well. <laughs> Hope you have a good ride. <laughs> Well, that's got to be a testament to, you know, like you mentioned, it's the front tire, so it doesn't take as much of a beating as far as weight. But you've also got to say maybe it's a little bit of Jackie's skills in avoiding, you know, obstacles and just, you know, being a good rider. Absolutely. Well, Kathy, that's one way to look at it. But there was, uh, we were going down this hill and then I hear this click, 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 click on her bike. Uh Uh-oh. Well, there was a nail went through her back tire, and it was hadn't lost air yet, but it had gone right through the tire, and it was hitting the frame. And she goes, Ward, I hear this clicking. I look at it. You got a nail going right through the side, sidewall of your tire. And then she goes, oh, are you going to fix it? <laughs> <laughs> and did you? Yes. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> We're 21 years of happy marriage. (laughs) Uh, Which we should point out. I don't know if you want me to share, but I'm going to, and I'll delete it if you don't want me to, but we're recording on your anniversary. Yeah. Yeah. Our 21st anniversary. Anniversaries are good things. Yes. Well, congratulations on making it 21 years and including three years of spending every single second together. Yep. A lot of people ask us, how did you guys ever do that? Yeah. The only time we were apart was when he would go to rotary meetings. Wow. <laughs> that's that's amazing. Let's get into the book. So the book is called The World at 10 Miles an Hour. It's now available to the public. People can go buy it. Uh, I know that you had a autograph signing party not too long ago. You signed books for hours. I mean, it should be pretty obvious what the book is about, but can you kind of give us a highlight of what the book is about? tells about um, our planning, our journey, tells the route we took in, in going around the world, why we did it. It tells about our attitude or our personality, mm-hmm. who we are as people. Things that I thought were just amazingly fun were terrifying for Jackie. Mm. So, and it's set up in a theme-based uh, type book, so it's not chronological. And, um, and so we have stories of uh, guardian angels that um, times when we weren't sure how things were going to turn out and they turned out well because we had guardian angels. We had scary moments and we had a chapter on food and all the kind of theme-based. And it, the book reads easily. A lot of people that don't know us laugh during the reading because they go, that's funny because of the comic <laughs> The way we, the way it's written, it just lends itself. Mm-hmm. And in the book, we have quotes from both of us, so you can see how the personalities are different. Because we both wanted to write it, but at different times, our perceptions of the situation were totally different. Oh, sure, so. yeah. Well, at what point, or why, or how did it become, you know, just memories to actually let's write a book? Well, when we were on the trip. I journaled every day, and I would have notebooks, and as soon as my notebook was full, I would mail it back. And so I had a 
big stack of all these daily journals of everything that happened. And we had so many great stories Mm -hmm. that we were just like, we can't just let the three years of our life go untold. And because I had all the information, even though this is 10 years later from when we got back, we just felt like we had to share these stories Mm -hmm. and help motivate people to go out and, and do whatever they're dream is mm-hmm. or you know it doesn't have to be a biking thing just go out of your comfort zone and experience life well do you have a few great stories that you want to share or maybe just tell us how you decided what went into the book that was really hard because there's yeah. so many for myself again it's back to argentina and it was good friday and we had a long day it was over 100 miles and it was hot we got to town uh, we went and got some food, and we went to a campground. And I said, Ward, let's just set up, eat, and go to bed. Mm-hmm. So we're set up, and they're grills. They're called asados, and they're not like ours. They're three-sided, a grate on one side, and then on the other side, you build your fire. Mm. And then you take a stick, and you rake those um, hot coals underneath the grill. So your food is never over an actual fire. Oh, it's I under see. Um, We didn't know this, though, at the time. So Ward is getting the grill going, and three kids from the camp next to us, they came over, and Nico was 12 years old, and he was with his younger sister and uh, younger cousin. And they're just kind of watching us, and Ward can speak Spanish quite well, mm-hmm. so they're talking. Nico asked Ward if he needs a stick. Ward's like, no, I don't need a stick. Well, that was a big red flag. <laughs> so he went back to his campsite and talked to his grandmother and asked if we could come over there for dinner. And so she came over, the grandma, and asked us if we would want to come over for dinner. So it's one of those times where I really just wanted to go to bed. Right. But our mission statement, you know, somebody wants to share, we want to learn the culture, we should go. So we went over there and Nico did all the grilling, and they grilled all different kinds of Argentinian meat. Um, they brought out different drinks from the area, and we actually had a, a super good time. The grandfather and Nico, they like to take their motocross bikes hmm. and go biking Well, in the, in the desert. Well, when they do that, Grandma goes down to the beach, and she tries to find arrowhead necklaces. And she had one on. Arrowhead. Didn't I say arrowhead? You said necklace. Oh. Arrowhead necklaces. And uh, she had one on, and then she went inside, and she brought another one out. And these were dating 2,500, 3,500 years old. Wow. And they were just really beautiful. So then we went back to our uh, campsite. The next morning, we're packing up, and they all come over because they want to take pictures before we leave. And then grandma takes her necklace off that she had around her neck, the arrowhead, and she put it around my neck. And the grandpa said she had never given one away or ever sold one before. Wow. So that was just, again, that Argentinian, you know, friendly culture that they have there. So, uh, yeah, that was a special time. Do you want to tell one of yours, words? Yeah. Well, and it, it all was because... Uh, I was the dumb gringo that didn't want the stick or didn't know how to use it. Right. So, so my uh, 
my blunders uh, make for a great story. Um, uh, one of the stories that it was uh, December 16th, and we're in Stubal, Portugal. Their latitude is the same as ours, so it's very cold. And we weren't camping at the time, and we were going to stay in a hostel. The hostel we went to was under construction. We asked, is there any place that would be reasonable cost? And they gave a recommendation, and we went there, and it looked rather shady. It looked as though there'd be drug deals and prostitution. Yeah, sure. We didn't want to stay there. And so we um, we went to the center of the town, and they have a town square, and Jackie um, is standing by the bicycles. And it's getting dark now. It's about 4.30, again, late December or mm-hmm. mid-December. And I went around the, the town square to see if I could find a room, a hotel or something to stay. And no luck. All the rooms were full. But this lady walks across the square and comes over and starts talking to Jackie. And it, everything is in Portuguese. So when I get back, I can kind of understand a little bit of it. The lady asked us to follow her because she knew we were looking for a hotel because I told her, hotel, hotel. So we follow her down this dark alley. Uh-oh. I go, Okay, we're getting, we just got set up. I said, no matter what happens, just hang on to each other. Mm-hmm. They can have the bike, they can do whatever they want. Hang on to your passport and us. That's all that is important. Well, we follow this lady for two blocks down these dark alleys, end up at this corner hotel, and lady goes in any rooms. No, no rooms, no rooms. Well, earlier that day, Jackie had said, do you ever, and this was 2007, Jackie said, would you ever pray to your mother? My mother died in 1994. Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah, I prayed for her help and that. Back to the story, we're in the in this little hotel area and no room at this hotel. Well, this elderly lady kept asking the lady, um, the young lady at the counter, well, call, call another hotel. She called, no room call another hotel, no room, call Uh another hotel. And she was just so adamant about you do this. And as I'm standing there listening and watching, I go, oh, my gosh, that's my mother. Oh, wow. That's exactly what my mother would do. She would just do your job. Right. They need a room. You keep calling. And this lady, this young lady is getting kind of frustrated. And she finally finds a room. And then this elderly lady goes, We'll get a map out, get a map and draw the route to the place. Wow. And then what's the price and what's this? And and this whole conversation, all in Portuguese, I'm going, oh, my gosh, we have a guardian angel. That's my mother. This woman is this, and we needed a room because it was cold and dark. And when she walked out of the hotel and I'm getting the map and that, she walks by Jackie. And in English, she just said, Merry Christmas. Oh. Yeah. Wow. That's because how would she know to say Merry Christmas? Right. And, you know, why would she put forth so much effort for strangers? Yes. Oh, wow. And it, it, yeah, it's like freaky. Like, And I said, Jackie, that woman was my mother. And she goes, she said Merry Christmas. And I go, oh. <laughs> it, it's, that was my mother. Oh, my gosh. Convinced. Yeah. Wow. And then. Jackie said, oh, and she said, Merry Christmas. I thought, holy, holy bucket. She was meant to be at the right place at the right time. Exactly. Wow. And that was my 
My next question was, did you meet a lot of people during your trips? And of course, I know you did, but what a great story to have that uh, feeling that your mother was there. It was wonderful, that story. Well, a few days into our trip, uh, we actually flew to Germany to start um, because our youngest son uh, graduated from high school. And we said, would you want to join for the first part of our trip? And this was his graduation present. So Mm. we flew to Germany and uh, afforded him about 10 days of sightseeing in Germany and that without bicycles. And then he came home and went to college in the fall. Three, four days into our bike journey, we meet uh, a couple from Sweden. And we give him our, we had a business card, we give it to him. And, and he kind of followed our blog and he said, well, once we got into Norway and to uh, Sweden, he said, well, I, I can see you're kind of coming close to our house. Why don't you come to our home hmm. and stay for a day or two? Because we had camped next to him in Germany. And so we did, went on and they were following our adventure all the way along. And as we we're coming across the southern part of the United States, he could see uh, and we knew we were going to Key West, he sent us $50 uh, through PayPal and said, when you get to Key West, have dinner on us. We sent back a thank you and he said, well, why don't you join us? Our next email was their flight itinerary. They flew to Miami to meet us. <laughs> oh, that is great. <laughs> and so they flew to Miami to meet us and we met and they don't cycle, but we kind of just hopscotched along. We biked there, and they and we just spent uh, three, four days in Key West together. But you meet them in a camping ground in, in Germany. You go to their house in Sweden, and then you meet them in, in Key West. And <laughs> yeah. Then they, came, then they actually flew to Chicago, rented a car, and came to Iowa. Um, so it, it's, you don't... You don't know who you're going to meet, and you, you don't know how those friendships are going to develop. Yeah, and isn't that what it's all about, is that, you know, those, were, those people were strangers at one time, and now you consider them great friends. Right, yep. I love it. And I think part of that, you know, we always say you don't experience this on a tour bus, because on a bike, people will come up to you, they'll talk to you, they'll ask you what you're doing. You know, we would stop and have lunch and make sandwiches on park benches and we'd always have people coming up and and asking and they wouldn't do that if Mm -hmm. you weren't on a bike and with them wondering where you're going and where you're from. Mm -hmm. And speaking of that, you know, obviously the paths crossed at a good time for several different situations that, you know, that you've mentioned, but did you ever get lost? Uh, No, we just saw parts of the world no one ever sees. Ah, yeah, there you go. Uh, and we, we didn't have GPS. Sometimes we didn't have a map. We just kind of went. And we had to rely on, on other people and to help us get to where we need to be. But lost is not a bad thing. Well, what, you, what people might say is lost is actually you found something new that you didn't know you were looking for. And I'll, just a, another story. We're in China and we leave um, this large town, which would be maybe 200, 300,000. There's a freeway out, out of this town and brand new freeway, but no cars on it. In two hours of us riding on the freeway, see four cars. I lay down in the middle of the freeway <laughs> and Jeff takes a picture of me. Why do we have a freeway in the middle of nowhere and how come no cars? Well, we take the exit ramp to get um, uh, some food, go into the village and we figure, well, you know, there must, the freeway might just bypass, you know, around the village. So we figure, well, we'll just 
not go back out to the freeway. We'll just take the, the road through the town and get, you know, hooked back up with it. That wasn't such a good idea because it was a paved road and then went to a gravel road. Mm. We keep asking directions and pretty soon we're on a tractor path oh. and then it's a footpath. And now we're at the top of a mountain. Oh, and there's a house. <laughs> a quick interruption to tell you this week's sponsor is Thirsty Pigs, a full service mobile event company offering beer, wine, spirits, plus catering for any indoor or outdoor event. Check out more at thirstypigs.com. Now back to the show. We're at the top of a mountain. There's a house, and we ask directions there, and they're in there drinking tea, playing marjan. So we have to have tea and, you know, just visit a little bit. And this, they speak Chinese. I speak English, but we're still visiting. We ask, we say the word Shanghai, and they could understand Shanghai. And so they point to the footpath, and they say, well, the footpath, they'll go to a tractor path, and then it'll be a gravel road, and then you'll come to the hard road, which is the concrete. And they made the sign to go to the right. And so we follow this, and we go to the right, and then we finally get to a village or a town, and we're standing there at the intersection. <laughs> this young man comes up to us who could speak English, and we go, where on the map are we? <laughs> <laughs> we, had, we had no clue. We had, we, we, during the course of that day, we went 85 miles. Wow. Up and over and everywhere. And then on the map, we figured out the town. We knew this town we were in the, the night before. And the town that he showed us, we'd gone 18 miles on the map. <laughs> oh, no way. All we could do is laugh, though. It's, it's right. <laughs> Everyone goes, how was it? And I, well, we just saw parts of China. No one. <laughs> <laughs> right. You talk about the scenic tour. That You definitely did it. Yeah. But even like um, in talking about maps and directions, when we crossed from Vietnam into China, we didn't have a map. And we went three weeks before we could find a map. Mm. And even the map that we found, the only English in or on the map was on the cover that said Chinese Atlas. Mm. And so we would go, I mean, but prior to that, we would go north, east, north, east north and that's how we directed ourselves for three weeks and then once we got the map ward would painstakingly look at the symbols and then try to write them down and match them up to um signs oh yeah (laughs) it was a chore i was gonna say i can tell though you have the right attitude because you're just like well we're just gonna do what we do and we'll get there when we get there yeah who knew we'd be invited in for tea at the top of a mountain and watch people play marshmallow? <laughs> right. I love that part. Everybody was, everyone was friendly. It was like, well, this was this isn't so bad. And if we wanted to, we had our tent along. We could set our tent up and you know in their yard or whatever. Yeah, it, it wasn't a bad thing. The eighteen miles on the map was maybe a little bit. Yeah, but I actually, I mean, we like we would never take a GPS. Because, you know, we like to try to find a map of the local area so you get a good layout of mm-hmm. it. And also, if you don't or you don't know where you're going or need directions, it makes you stop and ask people. Sure. So you're more interactive with their culture. It's actually a great idea. Well, when, yeah. you, when you look at the tour as a whole, um, I was going to ask, like, any do's and don'ts that you learned Well, I'll say a don't for me. We realized, you know, a big thing is not to judge people. Mm from other cultures. And and even 
when we were going through South America, they're so poor in a lot of these countries that we were in. And we keep thinking that, oh, they should have, you know, if they only had the standards that we had as far as living, they'd be happier. Mm. And we realized as we went by, kids are playing in dirt piles and laughing and having a great time. And people were happy. And in Cambodia, um, it's in our book, the picture of these two little boys. They just sat there with plastic bags, filling naked, filling them with water, pouring them over each other's heads. <laughs> and they did that for like an hour. We realized we shouldn't feel like we have it better off than other places. They can be just as happy as, as we are. And not to think that our standard of living is what everybody wants. Sure. Um, one of the do's that I have, and this is, uh, well, a couple of them. And as you do your bike tours and that, always have a few code words so that if you need to get your group together or get out of a situation, that you just say this word and everybody knows, oh, I need, I don't need to finish my beer. I don't need to finish my sentence. Mm. We need to move. And I, that's one of those things that as we've done more um, travel and invited people along, we said the code word, if I say this word, don't finish anything. We got to get out of here. There's danger. And, and then we have another word. And what, the one is the Berkey for the American Berkebiner. And the other word is Mora or the Mora Vasalopa. Berkey is danger. And Mora is your, your conversation is going the wrong direction Ooh. at this moment. <laughs> <laughs> And Jackie, Instead of kicking them, and they go, quit kicking me. Right. <laughs> you know, you, you start talking politics or religion, and Mora should be said, and Jackie will go, Mora. And you just kind of know that you need to be quiet. <laughs> oh, that's that's smart. So that's probably saved you a couple yeah. times. Oh, exactly. <laughs> um, and then one of the, the another do. Before you go into that, I was just going to say, we did have to use the word Berkey once. Uh, we were in Bolivia. I won't tell the story because it's in the book, so okay. they can read it. Yeah. Uh, but it was a man with a gun. Oh. So I did have to call Berkey on word on that one. Yeah. We had to get out. Yeah, we had to get out. But another do, you can access money from most ATMs, but ideally have an ATM account that is separate from your savings account or your checking account and only have enough money in the ATM account that will uh, get you to the next country or whatever. Don't have tens of thousands of dollars in your ATM account. Hmm. Um, just, just have a separate ATM so that they can't. We always had 500 bucks in there, and then we'd draw down from that, and we, when we'd have time to get to the Internet, and then we'd transfer money from a checking account or savings account into the ATM. Mm-hmm. That's just wise for traveling. Even in the U.S., don't, don't stack your ATM account full of money. Yeah, that's uh, very smart. And one of the don'ts, do not, and I do this, I carry too many tools because I can fix the tools that they break. And that <laughs> it's just the extra weight just is, that's just one of the things to kind of, and, and don't think about all the, I don't really think about the fashion. When you're out on the road for a long time, you don't need to have all those different clothes. <laughs> you see people for, for one day, and then the next day you see different people. Right, and all of that adds up, man, as far as weight oh, on your bike. Yeah, yeah. from yeah. your from your uh, website, I see you know, you're carrying your bags. You go, okay, that's just that's your body moving all the, 
Yeah. 130 pounds was my body and it was tired. Yeah. I'm... Well, when you finish this adventure, three years, 33,000 plus miles, how did you adjust back to, I'd say, normal life or regular life or just non-biking life? As we planned it, we did Europe first, South America, um, Australia, New Zealand, Asia, and then we came back to North America. I think that was really good for us um, in Alaska where there, we started in Alaska and then came down and did the West Coast. Alaska, it, it's kind of remote, so you're, you're not in the hustle bustle hustle and bustle of, of everything. That was good, and we were starting to you know see our normal food and normal beer mm-hmm. and those kinds of things. And just got the rhythm of our our country and how to communicate uh, with people relative to other countries where you had to use charades and sign language. Mm-hmm. And, and that was where we could just speak the language. And we, we actually purchased a phone so we could actually contact our sons who were in the military but home on leave. And, and we had a computer so we could do internet and, and that. So we were able to kind of reconnect slowly. Mm-hmm. And that was good. When we got to Maine, we my goal uh, was to touch the four corners of the continental U.S. And so we did Seattle, San Diego, Key West, and Maine. When we got to Maine, I said, Jackie, we're going to make one more left-hand turn. <laughs> and I, wanted, I, I was ready to come home. Yeah. So I said, we're going to, you know, and metaphorically, I said, one more left-hand turn. <laughs> and we're heading, heading west. We're going to go back to Iowa. So uh, we were ready, and I was ready to get back to work and ready to get back to a, a normal, what I consider a normal work week. Mm-hmm. And But we still cycle as much as we can and mm-hmm. still plan trips. Yeah. And as we were biking back in the U.S., we actually bought a house on the Internet without seeing it. Oh, wow. Hence, if we would have thought, we wouldn't have bought it. (laughs) (laughs) But, But I think the weirdest thing when we got back was, you know, we were just like, hey, we're just normal people biking and we're a small town of 8,000 and people were calling us celebrities and that was really uncomfortable and weird for us. Something that was different that we hadn't ever experienced before and now they don't, but. Sure, yeah. Well, you you definitely did something that very few people can say, even if they dream about it, that very few people have done what you've done. So I can see where the celebrity would come out where people are like, did you really, were you really on your bike? Like, I, it's yeah. pretty cool. <laughs> pretty cool. Well, only a couple more questions. Um, do you have any bicycle adventures on your horizon? Uh, yes. I turned 55 this year, and so we kind of take turns planning trips depending on whose birthday it is or um, whatnot. So I'm looking at going back to Italy. Mm. We only were able to do the northern part, so we want to do more of the middle and the south. Uh, and then we also want to integrate Egypt into that trip. Ooh, that's cool. So that's on the horizon. But even since we came off of our three-year trip, every year or every two years, we've been going overseas on a trip. So, you, so you we still... haven't lost the love of travel. We're, yeah. we're making sure our jobs that we have selected will enable us to do that. <laughs> Perfect. That's great. Well, any advice you would give somebody who maybe has a dream like you had? 
I would say if you have a dream to do something, do it. Put it on the calendar. Make it something you're going to do. Not just dream about, but make it a reality. And it might be going out of your comfort zone, but, you know, there's a lot of world out there and a lot of great humanity that uh, you can embrace that you don't know about unless you do go out of your comfort zone. Mm -hmm. I'm going to diddle that. Just get out there. Don't be afraid to fail. Just you're going to increase your palate. (laughs) Just eat at whatever's in front of you. Mm -hmm. Don't worry about what it is. Survive. You'll be a survivor. And there's so many people in the world that want to help you. We we could give hours of stories of people that just want to help you. Mm-hmm. And they don't, they'll never see us again. They don't know what who they're helping. That's, I guess, um, you got to go for it. Um, too often we, we say we want to do something and then we, our bodies don't allow us. Uh, do it when you can. And, and even we had 32 different languages that we ran into. And don't let that hold you back mm-hmm. because... You can get really good at charades. Yeah. And and people are, they're willing to help. And, you know, or, or we'd even take a, a picture of like hotel, what they would say. And then we would show people, you know, and they would go, oh, they would understand and they direct us. So, you know, you just have to kind of use different ways of communication. Mm-hmm. But the smile is the very best communication device very much oh yeah well i guess if people want to know uh a your scary story but also just where you travel to and some of the great people that you met they need to get the book the world at 10 miles an hour and people can find it uh like i mentioned at the beginning uh in their local bookstore but is it also available on amazon yes it is Excellent. And I, I guess if they, you know, if somebody buys the book and they really, really, really want you to sign it, they can probably find you on social media and see if it's something that's available. Oh, we'd be very happy to yeah. sign, sign a book. We, we also have um, books available at our house. Oh. So if they really wanted it, they could contact us. We could sign it and mail it out to them. Oh, very good. Well, thank you so much, Warden Jackie, for being on the podcast and sharing your adventure and writing a book so that we can all read about it. And uh, maybe we can all go on an adventure, be as lucky to go on an adventure like you two did. And just, we do have a a Facebook page. Okay. And it's Ward, W-A-R-D, and then the and symbol, Jackie, J-A-C-K-Y, Budwigs, B-U-D-W-E-G, apostrophe S, Adventures. And there are some pictures on there that um, are not in the book, and and we're going to be adding more. Okay. Well, I appreciate you two being on the podcast. Well, thank you so much, Kathy. Thank you, Kathy. You bet. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you, Ward and Jackie, for taking the time to chat, and happy anniversary to you both. If you would like to get a copy of The World at 10 Miles an Hour, go to Amazon or go to your local bookstore, or send Ward and Jackie a message via their social media sites, and they may offer you a signed copy. You can also find Ward and Jackie on Facebook. If you have a topic or the name of a cyclist you find interesting, email me at morphologypodcast at gmail.com. You can go to morphologypodcast.com to find good info. And I also launched a YouTube channel. So if you want to see the videos of places I've biked, check that out. I'll leave you with this quote from the unwritten book of morphology. This quote comes from today's guest, Jackie Budwig. The smile. It's the very best communication device. Think about it.